Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you and look forward to the day uh, when you get to come and worship with us in person. Also want to welcome all of those out in Prescott Valley today. So grateful that you are with us. We are continuing this series that we've been in for the last several weeks, where we're calling it Someone is Missing, where we're talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Today, we're going to be diving into a a text that's connected to the Holy Spirit that many of you probably already come in with some knowledge. So in Galatians chapter 5, we have what's called the fruit of of the Spirit. And in it, it is a list of virtues uh, that are manifest or should be manifesting in our life by the Holy Spirit who is alive in us. But I think oftentimes what happens is whenever somebody reads this or whenever we hear this preached, there's this thing in us that says, oh man, I should be doing this. This stuff should be more prevalent in my life. We hear these sermons and what gets communicated, whether it's intended to be or not, what gets communicated is you need to be more loving and you need to be more joyful and you need to be more peace-filled and patient and kind. And so you hear that and you're like, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make sure that that happens and I'm going to white knuckle my way to righteousness and I'm determined that I'm going to be more loving and peaceful and kind and gentle. And it lasts for about 45 minutes. (laughs) Then your kids end up acting like you and it uh, you just blow your top because you see yourself and you're like oh things are never going to change and we end up we end up missing the entire point of this list the the reality is we were never meant to produce this stuff in us in fact we can't produce this which is why it's called the fruit of the spirit it's not the fruit of jason It's not the fruit of James or Carly or Joy or Ben or David. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Before we get to the good news of the fruit of the Spirit, we need to set the context. So we need to back up a little bit. Galatians chapter 5, I want to start today in verse 16. So join me there, Galatians 5, 16. Paul writes this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So Paul begins this conversation by letting us know that there are two entities that are at work within every believer. There is the spirit who is at work, and there is also the flesh that is at work. You have the spirit that is at work, and you have the flesh, and they are in conflict with each other. So these two entities are going on inside of you and they are at war. Now, I'm not going to spend much time here trying to convince you that that's true because you already know it's true. You already sense this. You feel this tension all the time. You go to battle every day because you know what you should be doing and then you know what you want to be doing. And these two things are in conflict. Sometimes you will surrender yourself to the Spirit and do the thing you know you should be doing. But there are also times where you will surrender yourself to the flesh and do the thing you know you shouldn't be doing. And this is just part of what it means to live in these bodies, in this world. And in case you're wondering, this is never going to change Until either you go to Jesus or Jesus comes for you. Like this is just, this conflict is just going to keep on going for the rest of your life. As long as you're in these bodies and in this world. And the way that Paul frames it is, only one of these can ever be winning at one time. The spirit or the flesh. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you're walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're walking by the Spirit, you won't do it. And the inverse is true. If you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, you are not walking by the Spirit. Like it's either one or the other. There's always a winner and a loser in this conflict that's going on inside of us. Only one can win at the same time. Why? Because they want what is contrary to one another. They don't want the same thing. They want what is contrary to the other. They're always fighting. These two cannot coexist. There's no Switzerland here. There's no common ground that these two, the flesh and the spirit, can stand on. Every battle ends with either the spirit, us walking by the spirit, or us gratifying the desires of the flesh. Because they want opposite things. Kind of like your kids at dinner time. To appease one, you have to displease the other. They cannot be happy at the same time. The spirit is fighting your flesh. Specifically, look at what it says. They're in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. 
They're fighting each other. The spirit is at war. If you're being led by the spirit, the spirit is trying to keep you from doing whatever you want, which is a good way to know whether or not you're walking by the spirit. Do you just tend to do whatever you want? Then you're not walking by the spirit because the spirit is going to make you do things you don't want to do. If you're being led by the Spirit, then you're going you're gonna to be doing things you don't want to do. In fact, if this, you and the Spirit are on the same page and He is always leading you and directing you to go and do things that you were already going to go and do, like if He's always affirming and confirming the direction that you were already going and the feelings you were already feeling, then there's a really good chance that's actually not the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is in conflict so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. He is at war with your flesh. The Spirit will lead you in places you do not want to go and cause you to do things you do not want to do. But we'll talk about more about that next week. So hopefully you'll come back. Today, what I want us to focus on is how do we know who's winning this battle between the flesh and the spirit on the inside of us? How do we know? The answer is really simple, actually. You know who's winning on the inside by what's showing up on the outside. Because both of these, the flesh and the spirit, are, are trying to produce something in us that comes up on the outside of us. And so you can know who's winning on the inside by what's being produced on the outside. So let's pick it up in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So when you talk to church people about Galatians chapter 5, most of them, if they've been around a while, immediately think about the fruit of the Spirit. That's in Galatians chapter 5. But as we see here, there is another list of actions and attitudes that are addressed first. And they are called the acts of the flesh. Or some of your Bibles call it the works of the flesh. So again, both of these entities, the fruit, I'm sorry, the Spirit, and the flesh are out to produce something in us and put it on display through our actions and our attitudes. And so I want to try to help you visualize it with a tree. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment that this tree is your life, okay? And this tree has roots that's drawing up uh, nutrition from somewhere and inside the tree to produce something that everybody sees, okay? That's the picture of what we have in these texts. And what is being produced are this, these sets of actions and attitudes that are on display for everyone to see. And up first we have... What the flesh produces. So what is it that the flesh produces? Let's run through these. The first one is, they're obvious, by the way. Everybody knows this stuff. And I'm not going to tell you anything new today. The first is 
sexual immorality. Like the fruit of the spirit, I'm sorry, the works of the flesh. The first one is sexual immorality. The Greek word here is the word porneia. It's a catch-all word for any and all sexual activity that one might practice or think about or lust over outside of a man and a wife in the covenant of marriage. Which means, this is a great place for us to start, which means that at one time or another, we have all experienced and likely have enjoyed this act of the flesh. We have participated in it and we have enjoyed giving ourselves over to this work of the flesh in us. And because that's true, I just want to make sure that as we start this today, that we recognize that this is about us. It isn't about them. It isn't about them. It's about us. This list isn't for other people. He's describing us. There is not a person within the sound of my voice who is not guilty of enjoying this act of the flesh. So let's just make sure that as we go through this today, we know it's talking about us. The second, it says, is impurity. Impurity. Have you ever, you ever done something in your life that you just feel dirty about? The kind of, kind of dirty that a shower doesn't fix. That's what he's pointing to. That thing in us that we just, it actually points to being ceremonially unclean. It's this, this thing in us where we just feel icky on the inside. In fact, all three of the first ones on this list, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, all of these are connected to sexual sin. The debauchery is just giving yourself over fully to your, to your sensual desires. Like, you're just not holding back. Every time I hear this word, I think about a time my wife and I, uh, we went on our 10th anniversary trip and we stayed at a resort. And right next to our resort that we were staying at was another resort uh, named Hedonism. So whatever it is that you think might happen at a place called Hedonism fits in this category of debauchery. Next one, he says, is idolatry. And again, when you think about idolatry, don't just allow yourself to put it as the little Buddha statue in the corner. It's not, it's not what we're talking about. Biblical idolatry is putting something or someone in a position where they receive more affection and adoration than God does. It's placing created things above the creator. And they, those created things gets your attention, affection, and honor above God. And again, this is a great one to remind us, we're all guilty of this. We have all adored created things above our creator at times. We're all guilty. The next one is witchcraft. Again, don't, don't think about just, you know, a big kettle with cats and a pointy hat. That's not, it's not, this denotes delving into the occult practices and magic arts. But it also denotes drug use, 
In fact, the Greek word that's translated as witchcraft in your Bible is actually pharmakia. It's where we get our word for pharmacy. Like, Like whatever it is that you do that would open yourself up to the dark influences of the spirit realm fit into this category. Then we have hatred, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. We all get that one. Then we have discord, which is another word for strife and conflict and hostility and friction. We could sum it up this way. If, if the spirit is out to create unity, the flesh is out to create discord. Then we have jealousy. So when you think about, think about jealousy, jealousy is me actually wanting something that God has given you. It's, it's almost always born out of ungratitude or ingratitude, where, I'm not, where I, I think God shorted me because he gave you something that I wanted and what he gave me wasn't good enough. That's where jealousy stems from. Then we have dissensions and factions. No, back up. Then we have fits of rage. Fits of rage. (laughs) Turns out that those outbursts of anger that you blame on just being passionate or Italian (laughs) or Irish or Hispanic or black... Turns out they're all, all of them have anger issues, turns out. Or a redhead or a parent. (laughs) It turns out that those things aren't just personality quirks. Turns out they're actually the, the works of the flesh. Selfish ambition. Didn't want to stay. Selfish ambition which is really just, again, us putting our wants and needs in front of everybody else's. And oftentimes when this one pops out is when we don't get what we want. That's, how you, that's where this one gets put on display. When I don't get what I want, my selfish ambition rears its ugly head. Dissensions and factions. Again, this is a lot like, um, is a lot like discord, Except it takes it a step further because dissensions and factions doesn't let you create your disunity alone. It's not enough for you to be upset alone. You have to bring other people into your disunity. You draw other people in. Where discord can be, I'm upset and this is an issue between you and me, all of a sudden dissensions and factions as I'm dragging other people onto my side to whereby now it is us against them. Envy. Envy, again, is a lot like our jealousy, except envy takes it to another level. It's not that I'm just wish I had what you had. Envy takes it to the place where I don't like you because you have what I have. In fact, if, 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 if you lost what you had that I wish I had, I would actually rejoice in the fact that you have lost the thing that I want because I don't like you because you have what I have or had what I want. We have drunkenness. 
drunkenness. Again, this is pretty self-explanatory. It is interesting. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Drunkenness leads to debauchery. This work of the flesh leads to this work of the flesh. And my guess is, I bet if we had a chance to sit and have a conversation, many of you have stories back in your day that you could point to where this led to this. And my guess is, I, you could probably even remember some of it. The last one, this is orgies. The word translated here, orgies, is also translated in your Bible as carousing or reveling. It shows up three times in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, again, this one is always connected to this one. Wherever you find this one in your New Testament, this one is right there with it. These are the works or the acts of the flesh. This is what the flesh wants to produce in you. And these things, if we're honest, these are the things that we naturally gravitate toward. Like left to our own devices, we would all fall into these actions. All of them would be on display. You know how I know? Because we see these all over the world, in every culture, in every generation, in every language. Both men and women, like the, nobody has to teach this stuff in school, lest it be forgotten. This is what our flesh produces. And this list is by no means exhaustive. You know how I know? Because look at how Paul ends it. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Like, it's like, I don't even have time to put them all up here. This list, there are hundreds, there are thousands of other things that the spirit wants to produce. I'm sorry, that the flesh is trying to produce in us that is contrary to the spirit. Things like worry and fear and passivity and laziness and doom scrolling and overeating and apathy and ego and binge watching and investing in your net worth more than you're investing in your spiritual growth. And on and on we could go. Like there are so many ways that our spirit is fighting against this stuff that the flesh is trying to produce. They are in conflict with one another. And with this list in plain sight, the Apostle Paul gives us this very stark warning. Let's take it as the warning that he intends it to be. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, don't miss this. Paul is not writing this warning to the people in the pride parade. He's writing it to you. He's writing this to those who are in the church. And he says, I warn you. As I did before, in other words, this is not the first time that Paul has given this warning to these people. I warn you, multiple warnings, 
that if these actions and these attitudes are the things that are most produced in your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't. There are no exceptions. You can't live like this and inherit the kingdom. If there's not a fight going on in you over these things, you will pay an eternal price for it. That's the warning. Peter has the same warning. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Like These are not just little indiscretions. They are actions and attitudes that are warring against your soul. They are out to destroy what the Spirit is trying to create in you. And if you freely give yourselves over to them and live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom. Which is why we need the Spirit. Because this is all we can produce in and of ourselves. The Spirit is not just an add-on. He is the one who is in us to help wage war, to choose something different, to help fight against the flesh on behalf of our souls, to produce something contrary to this. And what is it that the Spirit is trying to produce? He wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy. And peace and forbearance. Thank you. And kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control. Like, this is what the Spirit's trying to produce. We know it as the fruit of the Spirit. This is what he's trying to produce in us. And the reason he's producing this in us is because he is in us. And these aren't just random actions and attitudes. These these are what God is. These are his actions. The fruit of the Spirit are the very attributes of God. God is love. God is joyful. He is always at peace. He is is never in discord. He he is constantly acting with forbearance. Because if he didn't, he would have smited us all by now. He is always kind. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He is good and he is Faithful, Even when we are faithless, he is still faithful. And he is gentle. And he is never out of control. Ever. These aren't just things God is expecting of us. These are who God is. And he's producing that through his spirit in us. These aren't just... Characteristics that he wants to see from us. These are the things he's transforming us into as he changes us into the likeness of Christ his son. And in the same way that this is not exhaustive, this is by no means exhaustive. God is also merciful. 
He is also sacrificial and holy and just and compassionate. And God wants to produce all of those things in us as well. These are just some examples of what he's trying to produce in us through his spirit. And again, I just want to make sure and reiterate today. These are the fruit of the spirit. They're not the fruit of Jason. Like I can't produce this stuff. I produce this. I can't produce this. This is why we have to have the spirit. So because I can't produce this, does this mean that I just sit back and cross my hands and pick my legs up and wait for the spirit to come do his thing? No, we have a role to play. In fact, it's right in our text. Look at Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My job, I can't produce this, but I am to kill this. Like if I want to have a tree that is full of the fruit of the spirit, then I got to make room by putting this other fruit to death. This is my responsibility. We are called to crucify the flesh. Jesus told us that if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Turns out we aren't just supposed to carry that cross around, but actually put it to use. And what do you do with a cross? You crucify stuff. That's what a cross does. And the stuff that we're supposed to crucify is right here. Paul makes it clear. We have to kill this stuff. We got to execute it. It will not die on its own. It has to be murdered. We talked about this a little last week. Colossians 3 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Notice those things are on our tree. This is what we produce. And we are called to put it to death. We got to make room for the fruit of the spirit by putting this stuff to death. But again, we don't have to do it alone. Romans 8, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. We are not obligated to live toward this. For if you live according to the flesh, you do this, you will die. And again, we recognize this is not meaning die in your bed at 90. That's not the death he's talking about. This is eternal death. Because you can put all of this stuff to death, and if Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die anyway. We're not talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. But if by the Spirit, by the help of the Spirit, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And again, this is not living. You're not going to make it to 186 just because you killed this stuff. This is eternal life. So we got to put this stuff to death and the spirit is there to help us kill it. Now, here's the bad news. Crucifixion, we're to crucify this. Crucifixion is not a fast death. It is a long, painful death. 
This stuff is not just going to keel over. It's going to take a long time. And sadly, until we go to Jesus or Jesus comes to get us, there will be a mixture of this in our life. The question is, are you working to kill it? Are you out to destroy this stuff? Are you by the power of the spirit trying to undo what your flesh is trying to produce? Are you killing this stuff by the power of the spirit? That's why he's here. We have to put it to death. And it'll keep trying to pop back up and you'll have to do it again and keep popping back up and do it again. But here's the good news. Not only do we have the spirit in us that is helping us kill this. One of the greatest, one of the greatest flesh killing arsenals that we have at our disposal is not just the spirit that is in us, but the spirit that is in each other. Like the, God has given us a spirit in one another to help us put our sin to death. Listen to the way Hebrews says it. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that, here's why we're encouraging each other, so that we may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are called to encourage one another to get this stuff out of our lives so we do not become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And he says, see to it. Like that's an action step you're supposed to take. You have a responsibility. See to it that this takes place today. Where you are speaking into other people, encouraging them to put this to death so that they are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He's given us the spirit to encourage each other to put this to death. Because here's the problem. It's easy to get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. To convince ourselves that what we're doing isn't that bad. It's kind of like when you get a blister. You ever get a blister? You're out working, you get a blister. And it hurts. And then you don't want to do that thing anymore. Ooh, whatever caused that, I want to stop. And I want to protect my hand because I don't want to do that anymore. But then if you just keep on pushing through the pain, that blister, it doesn't hurt as much anymore. Eventually, the blister turns into a callus. And then you don't feel anything. It doesn't bother you at all. And for many of us, that's what's happened with our sin. And what used to bring us pain and prick our conscience, all of a sudden we don't feel it anymore and we think it's okay. And actually we've just become hardened to sin's deceitfulness. It's what scripture talks about when it says that we've seared our conscience. We just don't feel it anymore. We are to leverage our relationships to help put our sin to death. In fact, James puts it this way, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, each other, each other, that you may be healed. You want to put this stuff to death? Then you got to confess it to people. You got to say it out loud. You know why? Here's the big takeaway today. Because seeing our sin through someone else's eyes is often the only way we see it for what it really is. Like when you begin to talk about the sin in your life and you say it out loud, 
all of a sudden you're going to get to see it on somebody else's face. We have this ability to tell ourselves that our sin isn't that bad because we have this ability where we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. And so we think we're fine. It's not that big a deal until somebody looks at it and they say, no, that's a really big deal. Like you can't be doing that. That doesn't honor God. That goes against what the spirit's trying to produce in you. Sometimes we have to see it through somebody else's eyes for us to see it for what it really is, which is why we keep pounding the drum for getting in a discipleship group. Not everybody knows your sin, but somebody needs to know your sin because they are the ones that are going to help us to put this stuff to death. So here's the question for today. So what do you need to do this week to put sin to death? If we want the Spirit to produce this, what we have to do is to kill this. We can't produce this, but we can kill this by the power of the Spirit. So what needs to die here so that Spirit can bring this to life? Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for your forgiveness and grace because we have all given into our flesh over and over and over again. And this stuff still pops up. I pray today that you'd give us a, a renewed sense of urgency to crucify the flesh so that the Spirit can produce the things in us that make us look like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.